1290 presents the Illegal Curve Hockey Show with Drew Mendel, Richard Pollock, and Ezra Ginsberg. You're listening to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show this fine Saturday afternoon, March 23rd, the post-mortem episode of the Illegal Curve Hockey Show, and I'm sitting in the host chair for Drew Mandel. You're listening to Richard Pollock. Ezra Ginsberg is joining me in studio. David Manuk of IllegalCurve.com is joining me in studio, and producing us is the always steady Tim Debenham. Michael Remus is on the other side of the glass. We will be hearing from him later on. Um... If we so choose, or if we don't so choose, <laughs> frankly. Boys, we had a great show today. Um, Mark Guy, Corey Perry's agent, is going to be joining us later on in the show, as well as Aaron Portsline from the Columbus Dispatch. The Columbus Blue Jackets have been on fire. They're tied for eighth spot in the Western Conference right now, you may not have realized. And uh, we're going to talk to Aaron about what's happened there. You look at their stat sheet, you look at their scoring. Vinny Prospel, got, Vinny Prospel leads the team in scoring. So what's the key? We're going to find out that... We're going to talk about the upcoming trade deadline. We're about 10 days away from the trade deadline. You're going to have coverage on TSN 1290 all day on Wednesday, April 3rd. We're going to talk about many other things, the suspensions and the, the recent uh, news about Joffrey Lupo and the recent news about about um, you know the hit on Mike, uh, Mike Smith by Alex Eller. We're going to talk about it all. But I think we start we start last night. And... Silence may be the best answer after yesterday's performance by the Winnipeg Jets and Thursday's performance by the Winnipeg Jets, frankly. Uh, two of the worst performances I'd say I've seen in a long time, back-to-back. If you combine the two, you'd say, wow, that's uh, some pretty awful play. Um, it's been a few games now that the Jets have essentially mailed in. Uh, Thursday's game, probably one of them. Yesterday's game may have been worse. The Tampa Bay game on the road earlier this year. You could argue the Florida game's couple of those where do we begin after a game like that Richie I think you can you can start off right off the bat by skipping the superlatives about whether it's the the worst game of the year or one of the worst games of the year you, you just have to look at at the facts and what what happened towards the end of the game with with fans leaving the Jets were outplayed and completely dominated in every single aspect of the game. And let's get it r- out, out there right now that it wasn't goaltending, and the fact that the Jets outshot the Capitals in every period, if you look, they outshot them, that means absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. The Jets were outplayed. So it's not about, you know, was this the worst game of the year? Was this a letdown? Uh, was this a setback? Look at the facts, and you have to look at the facts because... What's happened is we're seeing a repeat of those games in Florida, which were probably, in my opinion, worse because of the way they gave up way more goals and the fact that it was during a period where they really needed a boost. Now, of course, they need they need a boost in the sense... They don't need a boost, I should say. They had an opportunity to separate themselves from the pack in the Southeast Division, namely the Washington Capitals, the Tampa Bay Lightning, who are below them in the standings. Yes, the Florida Panthers are below them in the standings, but... What you have to look at is how they played and how it was addressed. And I know that, you know, Claude Noel after the game was downplaying uh, what was going on, and and that's part of it. And that's that's part of his job is to to do that. But I, I can guarantee you, he isn't downplaying it. And to be honest with you, 
I think after these two games, when I hear you know the Jets saying, "Oh, we went six one and one before these games, and we can't dwell on it too much," well, I, I think they need to dwell on it because it's the way they lost. You know, it's one thing uh, for the Jets to lose one game, and it's a close game; it's a tight checking game. That game was, as you said, Richie, and I know you want to get into this later on in the show, was Hockey 101, how not to defend in the NHL. That's just it. The defense of the play last night of the team was awful. The breakdowns, the decision-making, the lack of communication. Where do you start? Where do you start? I want to get into the comments after the game before we touch on another, uh, a number of other issues. And that's, you know, David, you're in the dressing room of the Jets' dressing room after the game. You know, Claude Noel, to the media at least, downplayed last night's loss. He didn't minimize it, but he downplayed this maybe the significance in terms of reacting too negatively. You know, Vander Kane, as as he mentioned, talked about how you know they were six one and one in the previous uh, you know the previous eight games prior to the, the past two games. Having said that, I disagree with Ezzy in that I think these two were worse because they're at home. People pay their hard-earned money to go to watch last night's game, and people pay their hard-earned money to go watch Thursday's game. I feel bad for those people. Those games were awful. But so, what are your thoughts in terms of the overall mood around the team? Are, are they playing it so they don't overreact, or are they not reacting as they should be? Um, I would suggest that the well, as you said, Coach Noel downplay. It's interesting. Following the Thursday loss, he was mad, mm-hmm. whereas Friday he's already in control mode. How do we kind of bounce back from that? And he doesn't want to appear. He doesn't want to flog the ho- the horse too many times. Mm-hmm. And he knows that if he reacts negatively again, the press is going to blow it up. So what ends up happening is he downplays the loss. He minimizes it because, and he says, and if you listen to his post-game comments, which we have, of course, shameless plug here, have on illegalcurve.com, you can hear what he says. He says, I want the players to get away from the game today. There's no practice. I just want them to go do something else. Go this, And then he goes, and just, you know, get, go watch a movie, go do something, get away from hockey, and then we'll refocus on the Tampa Bay Lightning on Sunday. Or defensive strategy. But... <laughs> As an aside, <laughs> I want to ask you guys in terms of apportioning the, the responsibility for the past two games. If I have to have the two of you put percentages on who's responsible, I'm going to give you three categories. One would be the coach, coaching staff as a whole, not mm-hmm. just Noel. One would be the overall leadership of the team, and the other one would be the overall personnel. I'm going to give you mine first, and I'm going to hear what you guys have to say. To me, if you're looking at these losses, you're looking at it as, you know, obviously of 100%. I think 20% is on the personnel. I think some of the guys in this squad just aren't good enough. I'm not so sure what the carrying level is. 20% is on personnel to me. Leadership's 40%. Uh, teams with good leadership don't have games like this. And I'm not saying Andrew Ladd isn't a good leader. I'm saying he doesn't have enough support in the room from other people leading. That's what I'm saying. And then the other, of course, if you can do math, the other 40% would be on the coaching staff. Too many of these games are happening. Too many. So you can play it to the media however you want. To have a defensive performance. Forget the fact they didn't score. They scored one goal in two games at the end of the, th- in the middle of the third period and the game was already over. The defensive play was atrocious. Couldn't create much offense. 40% of this goes on the coaching staff. What do you guys think, Gezi? If we're breaking it down into, and, and the way you've broken it down, Richie, is into these three categories, you know, coaching, leadership, uh, and those intangibles, and, and then the, basically personnel being how they actually performed on the ice. Yeah. And, you know, if we're breaking it down, I mean, I, I'm going to say it, it has a lot to do with the, the, the former, pardon me, the, the coaching aspect. I don't think this is a, a, has anything to do with leadership, and I'll tell you why. I think that the Jets have proven that they can overcome adversity. And I think Andrew Ladd, I mean, Andre Pavlik 
as far as he's played lately, he stole that game against Boston. The Jets were outplayed, and mm-hmm. I would argue that they shouldn't have won that game. But Pavlik stole it, mm-hmm. so they, they got the two points. And if you think about it, if, if they don't get those two points, they're a 500 team. Without the overtime losses, same amount of wins and, and losses, they're a 500 team. But this is my point about the way they played. And, okay, sure, Mark Stewart's out, so Paul Postma comes in, fine. Then Ron Hainsey gets injured, leaves. We're not sure that's a long-term injury. That's th- those are excuses, okay? I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what it is. And the Winnipeg Jets, and we've talked about this before on the team. Pardon me on the show. They're a team that is going to have to fight tooth and nail to get in the playoffs. They don't have enough bona fide NHL superstars. They've got mm-hmm. a lot of good players, a lot of good scores. And, and they've got great goaltending as of late. And I, I think Andre Pavlik has proved that he's a number one goaltender in the NHL. He was tired yesterday. That's Only one of the goals was well, bad in get, the Washington game. I want to get game. to that in a second, Izzy, but I want your percentages on this. Uh, if, I'm, if I'm doing percentages, I, I'm really going 50-50 on, and, on, and, personnel, on personnel, personnel and coaching. And okay. it's not leadership. I mean, the Jets' power play and special teams continue. We know Everyone knows it's bad. It does, nothing's happening. Nothing's getting addressed. I, I mean, we've talked about it. How many times on the show? Dave brought it up on the Wednesday show. Again, Ole Okunen's on the point. And not only is he not producing at all on the power play, he's not even showing you any glimpse of improvement. We're going to talk so about why are you not at least trying to change things? That's coaching. It's we're, also personnel because Ole Okunen, to me, has been beyond a flop this year. I mean, let's, let's, I mean we're, the season is three quarters over now at this point. The, the the abbreviated season. I mean, let's not let's not like joke around anymore about the way he's playing. I mean, the guy was not brought in here to score four goals in thirty games. I'm not sure why he was brought in here, but in any event, yes, I understand the point. So you're fifty fifty for you for coaching and for personnel, Dave. Um, well, I, I would go more towards Eddie in terms of I, I blame leadership the least in that regard. I go probably about ten percent on leadership. Well, I think. Let me interrupt them. From afar, and you're in the room more than more than I am, because I don't go in the room. Right, you do. Andrew Ladd to me is the leader of the team. He is. You say probably Mark Stewart's yeah. another leader. Mark Stewart doesn't play last night. Who's next in line for leadership? Um, and I'm asking this. I'm into both of you. I don't know. It's a good question. I and, mean, and to me, that's why there's a leadership issue. It's not that it's Ladd being. So the you're problem. saying. So you're saying it's not Andrew Ladd's leadership. There's not leadership. enough leaders. Right. Right. Um, well, I mean, I, I would suggest that it's all... There, I mean, there's veterans. I mean, Ron Hainsey would take leadership. He takes an act of leadership. He's a little more vocal. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily, like, it, it's not necessarily evident to, to the casual observer. Mm-hmm. But if you're, if you're a little... If you see the, you know, the conversations that are ongoing, uh, Ron Hainsey's definitely, uh, you know, a leadership-type mm-hmm. uh, player. Definitely, um, you know, isn't afraid to speak up. But you say 10% leadership. What do you, how do you apportion the other 90%? Uh, well, I would say 50% is personnel. Maybe I was I was actually you know leaning towards almost sixty percent fifty to sixty percent because yeah I mean if you watched there were so many players not present in the games and you know it's interesting because Coach Noel and and this is why I only gave I gave coaching about forty percent because you know Coach Noel said on Thursday night. It's not about the X's and O's. The game plan we drew up was fine. I'm not so sure I agree with that, by the I'm way. I'm not saying you should yeah. or shouldn't agree with that. But what I'm saying is that was his statement, mm-hmm. was that it's not about the X's and O's. The game plan was fine. And so you, if, you, if that's the case, if you feel that the coach is accurate in his assessment, then who is it on to execute the game plan that he puts forward? And it's the players. You know, so, the, I mean, and if you looked at the players, how many guys, I mean, we watched highlights of the game, the three of us, how many guys didn't do the things they needed to do Yesterday or Thursday, and it's w- terrible because we're talking about like after Thursday's game, 
How do you have the let up that you do on Friday? Let's forget about the the who's got the C and who's got the A's on their on their jerseys for a second. Look at the guys who have been either on the Thrashers for a while now, or guys that have been in the NHL for a while now. Whether you want to look at, I mean, Brian Little at this point has been in the league for five or six years. Mm-hmm. Dustin Bufflin's been in the league for five or six years. Yokin's been in the league for thirteen year, years right now. For, forget what's happening in the dressing room. The way they played on the ice. And to everyone, the glare, the mistakes were glaring. If you want to talk about Bufflin falling down on the first goal right. or Little not covering Ovechkin in the third period on the power play goal, it's their play on the ice that was bad. And you don't have to be in the dressing room. These guys are upset when they lose. They don't want to lose. Regardless of what they're saying, it's the way they played and how they set an example, and they didn't do that. In that sense, the leadership has failed. There's no leadership issue on the team. It's execution and how they're responding I to a bad I don't think those game. are mutually exclusive, though. I, I want to pick it up on the other side of the break. I want to talk about the decision to start Andre Pavlik last night, and I also want to talk about prospective lineup changes. You're listening to the Legal Curve Hockey Show live on TSN 1290. Quarter after the hour, Richard Pollock. Filling in the host chair for Drew Mandel, joined in the studio by Ezra Ginsberg, David Manuk of IllegalCurve.com, Tim, Deben- Tim Debenham producing and end-opping, and you got Michael Remus on the other side of the glass wearing a hood looking like he's just about to vandalize the place. <laughs> and, and, and you never know if he will or not. You're listening to the Legal Curve Hockey Show live on TSN 1290. We're rehashing last night's game and, of course, Thursday night's game. Um, you know, we, we found a place to begin, but let's continue the discussion. And, and I think the next question is Andre Pavlik, and, and maybe more specifically, you know, do you guys agree with the decision to start him last night? Well, I just want to quickly, before I throw it to the two of you, you look at Andre Pavlik. He has played 29 games. Out of, out of 32. Um, yeah, 32. 29, yeah, that's right. 16 games no. left. So he's played 29 games. Guesses for how many, if that's leading the league or not? Well, I actually wrote that in my game day preview for LegalCurve.com, and he is, I think, fifth uh, in the NHL in in games played. No, nope, he's first. Oh, now is he? Yep. He's tied with Pekka Rene for... Okay, so, sorry, he was... Um, yeah, you're right. I was, I was thinking of uh, minutes played. I think he was and he's, third or fourth. He's first um, with Ilya Brizgalov. Minutes and, played? And... Um, Right, because that was after that was before these two games. Sorry, and, and Pekka Rene for yep. game started with twenty eight. So he's he's up there, Richie. And he, well, I, let I, me I, uh, yeah, hold on. <laughs> you asked the question. I well, think. should he have started last night? No, I I think that you know when you look at what is coming up for the Jets. Mm-hmm. Actually, if you look at what's coming up for the Jets, is a pretty darn good schedule as far as home games go. As far as the way the schedule is. Even evened out as far as days off, and if you look at it, this was a perfect opportunity. It's it's not an easy decision, okay? I'm gonna I'm gonna give that to Claude Noel and the coaching staff. It's not an easy decision when you have a hot goalie and you need the points. You're coming off a bad win. In I'm the off. in the in, pardon me in the loss, I thought in, in in the Boston game that was the best game I've ever seen Andre Pavlik play. First of all, he stole that game against Boston. In the Washington game, the first goal that was scored by Troy Brower, I thought was a weak goal, but I thought the other three goals weren't his fault. Right. I thought they were, I mean, Washington outplayed the Jets. Most of those goals were nice. Ovechkin's goal, the one-timer, everyone remembers that. Yesterday, yeah, the, a couple of the goals were weak. But it's just a matter of he has played too much, simply. Mm-hmm. He's played too much. I mean, he's played the most in the league, and Montoya was healthy. There was an issue before because Montoya had that aggravated injury and they, you, you didn't want to put Eddie Pasquale in. But I think yesterday, yeah, you might want to change it up a little bit. He didn't have his best game, 
But, you know, you, you have the opportunity because, you know, when you go into Carolina and Pittsburgh, yeah. you're going to play Pavlik in both of those games. So, yeah, I, th- I do think they should have played Montoya last night. Yeah. I'm with Ez on that one. I think there's no – you as good as Montoya, – Montoya's been th- 3-0, but we should mention this yeah. year too. No, no, it's true. But I, as good as uh, Andre Pavlik has been for this team, and there's no question, as as he said, and let's not forget, I mean, we shouldn't – you know, as, as high as sometimes we get and as low as we sometimes get when there's a win or a loss, you know, Pavlik was phenomenal against the Rangers and against mm-hmm. the uh, Leafs last week. So Pavlik has been great. But, I mean, there comes a point where he started nine or ten games in a row that you have to have faith in the, in the backup. Now, of course, we know that Montoya was out. So the question was, how healthy was he? Was, was Claude Noel still not convinced that he was, you know, I mean, they uh, activated him, so they obviously thought he was ready. And if you think he's ready, regardless of whether you need the points, he, as, as you just indicated, he's 3-0 for the team. You throw out Montoya in, and you play him on, I know you need the points. But the, and I know, and I'm certainly not I, like as you just said. I'm not blaming Pavlik for the loss yesterday. No, and, and that's yeah, that's that's I. We're not blaming Pavlik for the loss yesterday. And as Ken we pointed out to us yesterday, no, Montoya really hadn't had a full practice yet. Right. So that's another issue. Right. And then that arises, and that's why Richie, I think that they didn't go with him. He didn't have a full practice. So Noel's thinking, no, I'm going with Pavlik, regardless of the fact that he's been. You're, you know, what you're doing there though. You're really pushing pushing the, his limits there. Well, let me ask you this then: If you're not going to go with him because he hasn't practiced, then why do you throw him in there at three nothing? Because at three nothing, are you still thinking you can win the game? Still, well, clearly not. I mean, well, I, I don't you, know. You, you would th- I don't know. Or yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, then, it's that, in- that, then the argument of not playing him, well, is out the window. The way yeah. the Jets had played in those previous five periods, it didn't cross my mind at any point that if Montoya steals, and we know that his first shot from Ovechkin went in, or second shot or whatever, he was coming in cold. He was coming in off of in, an injury, mm-hmm. and as you mentioned, he That's was coming I mean. in with no practice. So to me, that was just make a change because, not for the sake of change, you're making a change because you're trying to just get Pavlik out of there and get him out of the, almost get him out of the fire type of thing. I don't know if that was necessarily, we're going to put Montoya in because we think we're going to win this game. At least the way the Jets had been playing in that game, I, I didn't think that was what the strategy was. But, I mean, you're not putting him in with five minutes left in the f- third period, kind of like what the Leafs did with Scrivens and uh, Reimer there. Right, but what I think is is probably um, Coach Noel's thought process is I'm pulling Pavlik out so I can get him back in for Sunday. But and then so, the question is, I mean, you, so, you, so you give him a half a game break and then you're playing him on Sunday again? And when's the guy going to get a break? Yeah, that's true. But, I mean, if you think about it, you, give him, you get him out, you get Montoya in, so you at least are going to get Montoya some action. As opposed to throw, trying to throw him in, you know, in, in, because if you think about it, if, no, if Coach Noel's plan is to ride Pavlik for the next, you know, look, we've got, uh, they've got Tampa, then you've got Carolina, Pittsburgh, Carolina. And if he's anticipating riding Pavlik again, this way he goes, okay, I'm going to get Montoya into this game, and then I'll go with Pavlik on Sunday, probably Pavlik again the next game, and, <laughs> and the next game, and bet, the next game. Y- you have to play Montoya a bit. And to me, the next question, to me, what I'd probably do looking at the schedule is your games in the division are so important that you're not likely going to win in Pittsburgh. I wouldn't play him in Pittsburgh. I let Montoya go in Pittsburgh, and I play Pavlik in the division game. Ez? Well, you know, it's funny. I, I, I don't think that's a bad idea, Richie. I, I think, to me, I know you want to get it, get into the lineup changes, okay. not just in goal later, but to me, it's it's this game was all about the way the defenseman played in front of him. And, you know, mm-hmm. I know I know that they're a little bit decimated here. You know, not having Toby Enstrom, that's fine. But, again, you don't want to get into those excuses. It's not just one or two guys. It's w- the way I didn't think one single def- – I actually thought Derek Meech was our best defenseman. I, I, I think, you know, the, the way they played as a unit just kind of 
you know, a random, you know, mishmash of, of coverage in their own zone, whether it's in the power play, the way they're breaking out some of the passes yesterday mm-hmm. that, that they were trying, you know, icings and the way that they have played as a unit in the last two games versus the previous 10, to me, is the biggest concern about this team. And I know that there's injuries, and I know not having Enstrom and Stewart, who are, are two guys in your top six, I know that's a big deal. But to me, that's my biggest concern because when you go into the playoffs, yes, you mm-hmm. have to get hot goaltending. You know, that goes without saying. We'll talk about that more and more as we get going here. But when your defense is playing like that, it doesn't matter how good your goaltending is. You're listening to the Legal Curve Hockey Show on TSN 1290. Richard Pollock filling the host chair for Drew Mendel, joined in the studio by David Manuk and Ezra Ginsberg. We're talking about the Jets' decision to start Andre Pavic last night, and instead of giving uh, the hot tender a rest and, and throwing in the backup Al Montoya, another question I want to ask you guys is in terms of lineup changes, or even line changes more specifically. I mean, there's not that many guys, I think, on the outside looking in that can really make much of a difference. But what about the line combinations? They were kind of changed at points in the last two games. Would you, would you guys look to shuffle the lines a bit more than, say, the third and fourth lines that were shuffled for yesterday's game? They've shuffled the line, especially the forward groups. They've shuffled the line so much this year. And we know that Lad Little Wheeler has been the, the number one line, you know, the de facto number one line, and, and they've been the most consistent line. And, you know, when they last night they decided to put Vander Kane back with Ole Jokinen and, and Antti Mietin, and, and, you know, it, it, again, didn't work and didn't make any difference. You know, Vander Kane is our best player, and he struggled a little bit here. He's not putting the puck in the net. Mm-hmm. You know, one goal. Buff was the only guy that scored in the last two games. You know, if, if the jet, the Jets really depend on not really one line, but three or four players because Brian Little hasn't you know put the puck in the net uh-huh. that much this year. It's really Lad Wheeler and Kane because Jokinen hasn't found his game. You know, to me that that's the big thing. What what? How many guys can you? How many times can you spin the wheel and put different guys on Jokinen's wings and expect anything to change? I mean, the way I look at it. You know, Kane. You know, Kane playing playing with Jokinen hasn't worked. You know, as far as the the D lines go, you know, Bufflin and and Klitsum have had two of their worst games in my opinion. Yes. And Bufflin's been one of our best defensemen all year, but they lately they haven't been good. Yep. To me, I don't know. You know what else you can do here? And you know, James Wright is out, and he's he's been great as of late. Got his first goal a few games back, and you know, Cormier's not getting a lot of minutes. I actually wouldn't mind seeing that fourth line a little bit more. They're they're playing seven or eight minutes a game. I don't know what, what else you can do, Richie, because right now with well, the injuries they have, with, with the exception of maybe Eric O'Dell and a couple of guys, there's not many guys you can call up from the AHL. And then probably none because they keep making moves on waivers and such. You know, that's what they've kind of done over the past year and a half. Dave, I guess the question maybe is, do you break up the top line to create more balanced offense to get the other lines going? Do you maybe move Ladd on the line with Jokinen? Uh, do you maybe move Kane up with, with Little? Do you, do you try and switch things up a bit? Because, you know talking about it with guys around the team little is up on the top line but has he really been doing much maybe you change him and you put him with kane because kane's been struggling lately maybe you get Jokin off the schneid and put him with a guy like lad and wheeler you put where wherever you think he he would uh excel probably on either of those lines i like to see him with little and, and kane and i've mentioned that on the show before but something like that well you know it's interesting because pretty much claude Newell's did everything yesterday. It was like a pulling out of a bingo uh, thing. He pulled. Yeah. He tried as many different line combos as possible, trying to get some guys going, and that's fine. It also seems that the Jets' problems have arisen ever since they've started to try and roll out four lines, as opposed to what he was doing, you know, a couple weeks ago, which was primarily using his three lines and leaving his fourth line to only play three, four, five minutes. Mm-hmm. But you know, the guy actually probably one player I would say I'm most disappointed with of late is uh, Brian Little. Because I thought he was playing really good hockey earlier in the season, and he's disappeared of late. 
you know, as, as Rick Ralph would say, he's Ryan Little has done little. And so it's, it's interesting because I think you have to do something to get him going. And so maybe dropping him down and playing him with somebody else could help. I mean, I can't, you can't have this first line as you, and, and they've played well as a first line again, but they can't, it's not like they can never be touched. You there's can only, absolutely there are only, there are only. It's funny you mentioned untouched. There are only three guys, in my opinion, just offensively. I mean, Mietnin and Burmistrov are more defensive guys, and I think we, we'd all agree with that. But there's only three guys that don't need to get going. They've been there all year, and that's Ladd, Wheeler, and Kane. And there's other guys that... And, and it's up the middle, guys. The problem with the Jets is up the middle, they're weak. Mm-hmm. Little and Jokin, and, you know... It, they're just not giving enough offensively, and it's a, and it's a, it's a problem. And you have to hope that they that, that they get back on track because you've got Tampa on Sunday, and then you've got two road games next week. For all their struggles, the Jets are in first place in the Southeast Division. They've played more games than anybody else, but they're in the first place. They're they're in first place in the Southeast, which puts them third in the conference by default. They have 34 points. After the break, we're going to go through their schedule as compared to Tampa's, as compared to Washington's, and as compared to Carolina. You're listening to the Legal Curve Hockey Show live on TSN 1290. Half past the hour on a fairly sunny Saturday afternoon in Winnipeg, Manitoba, March 23rd. So we're into the springtime. I love how produce, produce, sorry, Richie, just get in here. I love how producer, 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 producer Timmy is playing the transplants because we've transplanted Drew for you. That's exactly right. Richard like Pollock it. filling in the host chair for Drew Mandel, joined in studio by the aforementioned Timmy Debenham, Ezra Ginsberg, of course, and David Manuka of IllegalCurve.com. And we're not going to forget Michael Remus on the other side of the glass doing hard work, as he usually does. Guys, we you know we mentioned before the break, we're going to talk about w- the schedules of each of the four really contending teams in the yeah. Southeast. I'm discounting the Florida Panthers. They're 10 points back of first place, and first place being the Jets. Uh, they have 17 games left. The Jets have 18. To, to blow a 10-point... Lead would be be quite quite unheard of, really, in, in the in the era of a three point game. Never mind the fact that Florida really has, you know, a lot of injuries, very little talent. Uh, you even see Alexei Kovalev, not that uh, he was producing much. He, he retired, um, I think, formally yesterday. But let's start with the Jets, and then let's take a look at the other teams in the division. The Jets play; they have 16 games remaining, guys. Okay, yep. they play the Tampa Bay Lightning twice. They play Carolina three times. They play Washington once and Florida once. So that is seven games against the Southeast Division. Okay? Seven of 16 games against the Southeast Division. So almost half of their games left are in intra-division, which is very important. When the, Really, that crown, not only can you get into the playoffs, but you can get home ice advantage, which aside from the fact that the Jets have been struggling at home lately is still a huge advantage in the playoffs. You, know, you get last change, last and stick down on the faceoff. A lot of other factors, of course, the familiarity of your home. The remaining teams that they play, they play the Penguins once, which is this week. They play the Habs twice, the Islanders twice, the Sabres twice, and the Flyers and the Rangers once each. So Montreal, so you play Pittsburgh, Philly, and the Rangers once. Rangers are struggling. Philly is struggling. Montreal, I mean, Pittsburgh, excuse me, is, is a great team. But you really don't have a hard schedule here, guys. When you're, you're playing Buffalo twice, I mean, they're done. Buffalo's done. You're playing the Islanders twice. They're not done, but, I mean, they're not a great team. And they're on the losing streak right now. And then you got to play the Habs twice, and the Habs obviously are playing great, but they're not unbeatable. The schedule is not that onerous. It's it's one that, to me, is is kind of there for the taking. If we were to, to, you know, give a grade or, you know, 
a, a one to ten, you know, scale here on difficulty. You know, with ten being really difficult, you'd have to say that the jet schedule is something like a three or a four, mm-hmm. and maybe you can make an argument, maybe uh, even a one or two, Richie. I mean, if you look at after Sunday's game game against Tampa, which is huge, because if you lose that game then this homestand has has been really bad as opposed to it's already bad because they've lost two straight games to Washington. But if you look at the schedule, after the Tampa game, they've got five of six on the road. Carolina, Pittsburgh, Rangers, Islanders, Habs. And you could say that out of those five road games, and then there's also the Hurricanes game at home. Mm-hmm. But if you look at those five road games, you could probably say that the Jets should win three out of those five games, being generous, but they can win three out of five games, the hard ones being the first two against the Hurricanes and Penguins. They can beat the Rangers, Islanders, and Canadians, even though the Canadians are a top team in the Uh East. You might disagree with that. But after that, if they can get three of five wins on the road, let's say, and be competitive, then you've got the six-game homestand against Philly, Buffalo, Florida, Tampa, Carolina, and the Islanders. And out of those six games, you could say the Jets can win four of those games. It's not a difficult homestand. So it's not uh, difficult. And you're playing, as you mentioned, the seven games remaining against the the Southeast Division, which is the worst division in the NHL. Mm -hmm. And they've proven that the only team that really gives them a hard hard time, last year it was Florida. Last year they beat Carolina four of six times, if you remember. And Chris Mason was, I think, got three of those wins. Mm The only team that's really giving giving them a hard time in the Southeast right now is Washington. Tampa, they beat last time. There was the 1-8-3 game, but last time they played them at home, they beat them. And and really, you know, the, they have no excuses. If, if they don't get it done, it's not going to be because there's a hard schedule or it was a short season. It's because they didn't really beat the, the beat the teams that are really even or maybe a little bit better, a little bit worse than them. Just to recap, they play the Winnipeg Jets have 16 games remaining. They play the Hurricanes three times, the Lightning twice, the Habs twice, the Islanders twice, and the Sabres twice. The following teams they play once more: Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, the Rangers, and Capitals, and Panthers. Sports Club stats, which is a site that kind of projects the. The, the percentage chance that the Jets have of making the playoffs puts the Jets' chances, chances excuse me, at 49.7%. That's ahead of Tampa Bay and Washington, who are at 32 and 29% respectively. But behind Carolina, who has an edge of about 12%, at 61%. Dave? Well, it's interesting because I think, and that just goes to show you what a, a win or two will do for or against you because I think... Uh, Three weeks ago, the Jets were at about 60% rate. Then when they had those wins against the Rangers and, uh, and the Leafs, went up to about a 70% rate, and now they're back down to in, the, in the 50s, or 49, as you say. So, it, you know, that's, that, and that's like anything. It can change with one or two wins and, and a couple other losses with other teams in the East. Um, what's interesting for the Jets and what's unfortunate is their current record against the Southwest, Southeast, sorry. You've got four wins, six losses. I mean, that's... Just not acceptable. And last year, correct me if I'm wrong, they were something like 12 or 13 wins against the Southeast Division. I remember looking back at that last year. They were very good against the Southeast Division last year. Maybe somebody will tweet it at us or maybe Reem can can look it up. But they were very good against the Southeast Division. And Mm -hmm. Dave makes a good point because you've lost three games against the Washington Capitals. And I actually think that the Washington Capitals are a lot better than the record indicates. It's not just because I thought before the season started they'd make the playoffs, but you've still got a very good team, Richie. Alexander Ovechkin, Backstrom, as you mentioned, Ribeiro right now might be a top three playmaker in the NHL. So let's not say that that Washington beat them and they're a bad team. Washington's not a bad team. Washington's a team that has played bad this year. Last year, the Jets against the Southeast Division as they were 14-6-4. So I was pretty close. Mm-hmm. Not bad for a guy that has uh, 
some memory loss issues, eh? <laughs> we, we, we won't uh, delve into why you have memory loss issues. You're listening to the Legal Curve Hockey Show on TSN 1290. Richard Pollock filling the host chair for Drew Mandel, joined in studio by Ezra Ginsberg and David Manuk of LegalCurve.com. Guys, right now we're recapping the, the we're, we're looking forward, excuse me, to the Jets' schedule, the upcoming 16 games, and we're comparing them to the other schedule, the schedules of the other three contend, contending teams in the Southeast Division. Carolina, guys, to me, is the main competitor. They've lost Cam Ward. That's an issue. Dan Ellis, his backup is now injured. They're going to be relying on Peters and Nett, but let's look yep. at their schedule. I mean, they played the Jets three times. We just established that by going over the Jets' schedule, and there'll be some overlap, of course. But these are the teams, they, aside from the Jets, they don't play any team three times, but these are the teams they play twice. The Capitals, which works both for and against the Jets because somebody's got to get points, but somebody's got to lose and not get two. They play Tampa Bay twice. They play Pittsburgh twice, the Rangers twice, and Boston twice. Not an easy schedule. I'd say more difficult than the Jets' schedule. These are the teams that they play once. The Habs, the Leafs, the Islanders, the Flyers, and the Senators. And they have 18 games, obviously. The Jets have 16. But I don't think you could say that the Jets' schedule is any harder than, than Carolina. And I realize in the, in the same division they're going to play the same schedule, but it's about the games remaining. And that's the good news here for Jets fans who are depressed, and they probably should be depressed uh, you know, after, uh, after the last two games. But that's the good news here is, sure, Carolina has two games in hand, and we might be in third, but they don't have their top two goalies now. They're going with Justin Peters, mm-hmm. who has been a backup, essentially, for most of his NHL career. It's that they have a hard schedule. And Carolina, in my opinion, is the team. And it's not just because they're, they're currently a couple points behind the Jets. Right. They're the best team in the Southeast Division this year. Tampa and Washington, uh, unless they go on a late run here, and they very well could, especially the way Washington has played. They, they, they have hard schedules. And, you know... When you have two extra games in hand, but you got to play the Pittsburgh Penguins, the Boston Bruins, and the New York Rangers, and when you're talking about the New York Rangers, I don't think they're going to go out quietly in the playoff race. I'll be shocked if they don't make a late run and get in. You know, you, 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 there's no re- there's no reason why you can't take advantage of not not the games in hand, but the games that you do have, because you're you're getting some easy games at home. I, you know what, I agree. As I, The only thing I, I caution is that I think that these two losses to the Capitals are, re, are really going to bite the Jets, unfortunately, because you really look at what that could have meant for this team. And if mm-hmm. you have four more points to add to the Jets' total, they're at 38 points right now. Washington's at 25. And as you mentioned on Wednesday, Rich, that essentially knocks Washington right out. Of the, and as I believe in your postgame audio from uh, Mike Ribeiro might have said it, he basically acknowledged that. He said, if we didn't get these two wins, we were probably done. Right. And so, you know, this, unfortunately for the Jets fans who were out there who wanted to see their team compete against the Washington Capitals this last two games, they didn't see it. And it really, really could. Because if you look at the Jets' schedule, it's very, very winnable. And Carolina clearly has some very tough te- teams to, to play against. Washington's getting healthy now. Mm-hmm. They've got their full team. You know, they could go on a run. But they're, as you said, Richard, their schedule isn't easy. So it'll be very interesting to see what the Jets do. But really, there's no, you know, the time is now. And, you know, we always say that, is this the most important game of the yeah. season? Well, these next few games, especially two or three of the next four against Southeast Division opponents, are the next, this is the season. You mentioned Washington's schedule, and we, we, you mentioned Tampa Bay as well. We're going to break down both of their schedules, because they're not out of this now, especially after these two losses by the Jets, as you just said. We're going to break down Tampa Bay's schedule. They have 18 games remaining. The Washington Capitals have 17 games remaining. This is a stretch run, short season or not, and you're listening to the Legal Curve Hockey Show live on TSN 1290. 
Richard Pollock filling in the host chair for Drew Mandel, joined in the studio by David Manuka, BelegoCurve.com, and Ezra Ginsberg. This segment is brought to you by Elite Sports Injury Clinic. Regardless of your talent level or how it happened, if you suffer pulls, tears, strains, or spasms, Elite Sports Injury Clinic is your destination to get you back to health. Three convenient locations throughout Winnipeg means Elite Sports Injury Clinic is always available to get you back to health. Check them out online at physiowinnipeg.com. I wonder if Elite could help me out with my my Twitter hands. <laughs> like, I wonder if that's like a new thing, like for people that are on their iPhones and like you know tweeting a lot. I wonder if you could go there and then they could give you like acupuncture in your fingers. So you've just created a new medical condition. Carpal Twitter. Twitter. <laughs> Before we get to the Carolina uh, Hurricanes and Tampa Bay Lightning, sorry, the Tampa Bay Lightning and Washington Capitals schedules for the re- remaining portion of the season, Dave has some injury update news. Uh, yes, Paul Friesen from the Winnipeg Sun uh, is reporting that Coach Noel said the following. Enstrom may be ready with his Coach Noel-like uh, eyebrow raise and a smile. He said Stuart and Hazy are game-time decisions and right is day-to-day, which means he should be available in about three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is it an upper body injury, lower body injury, or mid body injury? Well, Ed, Ed, you know, Tate had a great uh, excellent article article. Yeah. article about that. Check it out in the Winnipeg Free Press. Dave linked it on illegalcurve.com, of course, as he always does. But, you know, to me, Stuart and Hainsey, it changes everything. I mean, you know, sure, they haven't played well maybe as of late, but Hainsey is, is, is your top pairer, pairing. And, you know, if, if you're in a situation, then you maybe have to put Kulda in if one of those two guys are out because you're running out of guys here. I mean, you're, you're running out of guys. They had Melchiori up earlier, but, I mean, with, with Enstrom out and Redmond facing that, uh, you know, unfortunate injury as well, <laughs> there's not too many guys left that they can call up. I mean, Meech has played five games in a row here. You have to wonder so. if there's anybody left in St. John's because when you look at the Jets' line, bench, like when they were panning it, I was like, oh, that's the Jets' AHL roster. So it's 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 interesting to to wonder, yeah. like as you said, there's literally almost nobody left down well, in the in St. John's. The Jets have got off essentially scot free at forward this year in terms of injuries, but not on the back end. Right, that's a good point. Yeah. Tab, the Tampa Bay Lightning have 18 games remaining. Now, some have written them off because of the fact that you know they're trailing in the standings, of course, and and Lecavier's now may or may not be out for the season. Goaltending issues, obviously. Um, I think, by the way, quickly, Richie, before you get into it, I, I, I think the Tampa Bay Lightning are a good enough team that they can still make the playoffs without LeCavalier, but continue. Well, their goal differential is actually the best in the division. They have eight more goals than they do goals against. They are at 27 points, as we mentioned before. That's seven points behind the Winnipeg Jets, five points behind the Carolina Hurricanes. And they're seven points behind the Winnipeg Jets with two games in hand. So if they win both those games, there's only three points behind. This is their schedule. They don't play any teams three times. They play the Jets twice, the Sabres twice, the Hurricanes twice, the Panthers twice, the Senators twice, and the Capitals twice. Not exactly that difficult. The team that they play once are the Devils, the Habs, the Bruins, the Penguins, Islanders, and Toronto. That might be the easiest of the schedules or close to it. I think Carolina's actually got a more difficult schedule playing, obviously, the Bruins and Penguins twice each, which is tough. And you mentioned the Rangers as you're going, going out. They're not going to be going down easy, but... You know, when you're Tampa and you're looking at the Jets twice, all all due respect to the Jets, not that difficult team to play, the Sabres twice, the Hurricanes twice, and then you're looking at the Panthers. The Sands obviously are playing great, but so many injuries. Um, And then Washington, Tampa Bay is not out of this, guys. Not 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 at all. Not at all. And I I said this on the midweek show. You know, to me, Tampa Bay is is a, a bona fide number one goaltender away from making a run here, and and their goaltending, let's be honest, has been atrocious. 
Anders Lindback, even though you know the discussion at the beginning of the season was, can he play enough games and be mm-hmm. the number one goaltender? The answer has been no. He hasn't been very good. He's a big guy, but he's he's proving that he was better as a backup to Pekka Rinne playing in front of that defense than he is in front of Tampa Bay's defense. I think that's something I would... I, I said that. Keep your eye on that. I think Stevie Y might make a move. I might be wrong about that. I've been wrong a lot. But back to the schedule, Richie. It is an easy schedule. You know, you've got a couple games in hand on the Jets with 16 games mm-hmm. compared to 18. But you're right. You, you think about the... The six of the 18 games are against Southeast Division opponents. So if Tampa Bay wants to, to get in the playoffs, they're going to have to beat Washington. They're going to have to beat Carolina, just like the Jets are. Um, but the Buffalo game, you know, the Buffalo and Florida right now, those are your 14 and 15 seeds in the Eastern Conference. Mm-hmm. So four out of 18 games are against bad teams. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it, it's really uh, a situation where no, there, there isn't going to be any type of, you know, excuses uh, when you're when you're talking about the Southeast Division because... Nobody, nobody has risen to the challenge, and the opportunity. You could make an argument, like you said before the break, Richie, that maybe it's Tampa Bay and Washington who are really the teams to watch out for when you consider that Carolina has the the injury problems in goal. Well, you know, as he made an excellent point, and the point is this: there's nobody rising to the challenge. Not mm-hmm. one team in the Southeast Division has really taken hold of the of the mantle and said, I want to be the championship of the champions of this division. If you look, the Jets are still the hottest team of the last ten games. They're six, three and one. Everybody else, Carolina four, five and one, Washington five, five, zero, Tampa four, six and zero, oh, and Florida three, six and one. Mm-hmm. So none of these teams are hot. So yes, their schedules might be might favor them over the Jets, but let's be realistic. At the same time, Jets have played two really bad games. That's just two bad games. And, and if you look at the last ten, if you're, I mean, we're talking a shortened season. The Jets have been the best team of the last ten games. And I don't see the Jets' schedule as really being difficult. I think if anything, the the toughest schedule is, is Carolina. Uh, to me, the other schedules aren't that difficult. The Washington Capitals have 17 games remaining. Um, they play the jet. They play the following teams twice: the Islanders twice, the Hurricanes twice, the Lightning twice, the Habs twice, and the Senators twice. The following teams they play one time: the Jets, Rangers, Sabers, Flyers, Panthers, Leafs, and Bruins. I mean, to me, it's it's Carolina's four games against the Bruins and and uh, the Penguins. And then you can even add the Rangers, the six-game, that six-game block. I realize they have 18 more games, but that six-game block, to me, Carolina's got the hardest schedule left. The other teams' schedules aren't overly difficult. Absolutely. And, and you know, people that are, that are looking for answers here as far as who's going to make it in, in as far as the Southeast Division goes are going to be a little bit disappointed with what I have to say is I think you, you flip a coin. I think one team mm-hmm. is going to get in, maybe two, maybe two, but you flip a coin right now, and the only team that you know that isn't getting in is Florida. And it's because nobody has risen to the top. Every team has issues at, at some position. And, you know, the Washington, even though they've beat us, their defense, they're, they're still, you know, suffering some injuries on defense, Erskine, uh-huh. Pody, and all that. Every single team has their own issues. And, you know, the next couple of weeks are going to tell us a lot because the next two weeks are going to set us up for, for that, that final push. And I think... You know, I, I'm pretty sure of one thing. I think that, you know, with one week to go in the season, I, th- I still think there's going to be four teams, you know, aside from Florida, that are that are still going to be fighting for that last playoff spot. You know, I mean, ultimately, at the at, at, as a, it's kind of being redundant, but really the only three teams that have shown themselves to be elite in the East right now are Montreal, Pittsburgh, and Boston. Mm-hmm. And everybody else is fighting for those remaining five spots. because And, and there isn't the occasion, not the Rangers, not the Islanders, because even the Islanders, the Islanders are coming on, now they've lost their last three. Mm-hmm. So literally these teams will, will show a little pulse, a little life, and then 
you know, two games later, they're back to the eighth, ninth, tenth team. And you know what? They're not very good. That's right. I mean, there are, I mean certainly the Rangers are, un, you know, underachieving based on the talent level that they have. And, you know, even the Flyers with the holes they have on the back end, they're certainly underachieving with the talent level that they have. There are teams that aren't doing what they really ought to be doing. Do you think the Flyers wish they had Bobrovsky? <laughs> Yeah, good, 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 good point. And we'll be talking later about uh, Sergei Bobrovsky, of course, with their imports. Player of the week, but. Sergei Bobrovsky, yes, from a couple right. weeks ago. But I mean, they're not great teams. So you have the. It's very possible, guys, that the winner of the, the of the Southeast Division is actually out of the playoffs. As far as points go, yeah, yeah it's, it's possible. It's possible. I mean, the the, the Jets. Uh, right now we're in third place, but it's just because exactly they're they're leading the Southeast Division. Well, let's look at let's look at it that way. I mean, if you look at it, if you look at it based on the conference standings, before we're going to go to break, we're going to talk about a bunch of other things: lineup changes, issues with trades, deadlines coming up in ten days. The Jets have thirty-four points, and the Rangers, who are ninth place, have thirty-two, and and the Carolina obviously is thirty-two, and both those games have teams have two games in hand. Excuse me. So if the teams with the games in hand get some points. It's possible that you're looking at the, you know, the outside, the team in third place is possibly at the end of the next week or so going to be on the outside, but they're going to claim the division anyhow. And you don't only get in the playoffs, as we've mentioned, but you get home ice advantage, which is important. The advan- I think we've talked about the advantages in terms of schedule, and we've broken that down. Guys, I, I want to go to break, because then I want to come back, and I want to talk about a couple of things. But let's start off with Ole Okunen. On the other side, we're going to talk about Ole Okunen's production overall production or lack thereof but maybe more specifically Ole Okunen and his production on the power play notwithstanding the fact that he struggled on the point just the lack of production overall on the power play and he's been used in different situations as Michael Remus just wrote to me through the other side of the glass what production we'll discuss that after the break you're listening to the Legal Curve Hockey Show live on TSN 1290 One hour down, two hours left to go on this Saturday, March 23rd. Beautiful sunny day. Beautiful. We'll say it's beautiful based on the weather that we've had recently. Richard Pollock filling in the host chair for Drew Mandel. Joined in studio by Ezra Ginsberg, David Manuk of IllegalCurve.com, Tim Debenham, and Michael Remus. We might be the new five-man unit for the power play. <laughs> I, think, I think it's time for Rack to change the uh, with Drew Mandel. I think it's time for Dave Manuk. What do you think, guys? Well, the fact that you're going to be, you know, in the studio for the next week, Drew's, you know, decided to take a, a bit of a vacay. Yeah, sure, it's a honeymoon, but it's in the middle of the season here. I think that might be a good idea. I think it's fair to say that Drew's honeymoon period with us is over. <laughs> if there ever was one. This segment of the Illegal Curve Hockey Show is brought to you by Certified General Accountants, Association of Manitoba. The CGA Association of Manitoba is the largest, fastest-growing, and most diverse accounting body in Manitoba. Did you know that CGAs are among the top 5% of income earners in Canada with an average yearly salary of $72,000 for new graduates. For more information, contact the CGA Association of Manitoba at cgamanitoba.org or 204-477-1256. The CGA Association of Manitoba. We see more than numbers. Speaking of numbers, guys... Ole Jokinen on the power play, and, and the numbers that he's produced on the power play this year are staggeringly low. Ole Jokinen has nine points this season. Again, that's obviously a quite a low number. Nine points this season in 32 games. Do you guys want to guess how many points he has on the power play thus far? 
Well, I don't want to call myself Nostra Davis, but I'm pretty sure it's just one. It's one assist. He has one power play assist, and he plays two minutes and 33 seconds a game on the power play. Where do we start? And Maybe, you know, let me first say this. Jokinen's production on the power play in the past couple years has been pretty good. On Calgary in the past two seasons, he's essentially led the team in scoring on the power play based on, you know, proportionate time, meaning based on how much time he plays in the power play, how efficient he is, he was the most efficient flame the past two seasons. And he comes from Calgary, where he kind of played more on the right half boards than he does at the point, and we'll discuss that in a second. But he went from being a pretty productive power play player to being essentially useless on the power play. And now, does the, does the fault lie with simply with Ole Okunen, or is it a matter of misusing the player you brought in to produce offensively? Richie, in my opinion, it's the latter. The reason why Ole Okunen is on the point is, is no secret. And it's no secret why the Jets' power play has gone into the tank. You know, it's one guy, Tobias Enstrom. The guy was leading all defensemen in points, and, you know, he's been out for over a month now. Tobias Enstrom, and this is part of the reason why the Jets gave him the five-year contract. They gave him the big bucks because the guy can work that point and distribute that puck like very few guys in the NHL can. And... Ole Okunen, you mentioned you know how he's had success in, with Calgary over the last couple of years, and he was a pretty good guy on the Florida Panthers too as well. He's a big body, and he's more of a shooter. But you know, he's, he's you mentioned the half boards. He's not a guy that you, you're going to put in front of the net like a lad or an Antropov. You could, but he's more so a guy that will come off the half boards and shoot. You know, he he's being misused. But like we we've spoken about on the show before, how many other guys do you have to put out there? As a, as a left-handed shot. So the, the question I have for you, Richard, is is he being misused? I mean, if he's clearly... Pardon me, been right-handed a, shot. He's been effective. So the question is, is Coach Noel not using, or Perry Pern, assistant coach Perry Pern, not using Jokinen to his full capabilities on the power play if just last season he was, you know, getting getting some production there? Some of his success last year was, you know, can be attributed to playing with Jerome McGinley, and Jerome McGinley makes players obviously look good, but Jokinen, for the most part, on the power play, set up last year in the half wall on the right side on his off wing in Calgary, and what they did was they had again a lot of the time on the off, on the other side, on his off wing, so he's a right-handed shooting player, he'd be on the left side, he's got a great shot, and there would be a few passes and a few plays that would work between the two of them. You haven't really seen anything like that this year, and what you have now is Jokinen on the point. I think the experiment with Jokin on the point is so far overdue, I mean, to, to be changed. It, it, it's it's taken too long. Uh, I don't know why they're sticking with it. Jokinen, when we touched on it, Jokinen's not a passer, has never been a passer, never will be a passer. To me, like Bill Belichick's graded this in, you know, in a football analogy. He, he coaches to play your strengths. To me, when you put Ole Jokinen on the point, you're actually coaching to a weakness, meaning you're putting him in a position to A, get a quick shot off, which he isn't great at, or pass and facilitate, and he's not good at that. Now, I realize in the half boards, obviously there's going to be some passing and facilitating too, but it's a better shooting position for him on his off wing. And he's like, he, and he's able to see the ice from a different perspective than at the top of the blue line, never mind the fact that when you're on the half boards, you don't have the pressure of the, of the forward coming in on you and being the last man back, which is always a pre- pressure for a forward playing on, their, on the back end because they can't skate as well defensively, and you've seen a couple 
uh, breakaways against. Now, yesterday it was Brian Little getting beat on the blue line and Brooks Light going in there. But it happened to the other players. I believe Thursday night's game, Bufflin dropped the pass on the on the power play breakout to Jokinen. Jokinen was last man back. The puck was tipped, and I believe there was another penalty kill breakaway for the Capitals. So the opportunities have arisen, and I think the pressure has gotten to him. I just don't think he feels comfortable there. That's one thing. The other thing is, you know, have they gone back, and they may very well have, have they gone back and looked at the tape of when he succeeded? Because to me, he needs to be put on the right side there on the half board. Who else really is manning that spot for you? Richie, you know, just spitballing here, I mean, the guys that go out right off the, you know, and he's getting first power play time, so he's going out there with Bufflin, and then you put out Bogo and Hainsey, or now that Postma's back, you'd probably put, I think you'd agree to put Postma on the second power play unit. Who are the who are the pure playmakers on this team? Mm-hmm. Put Brian Little out there. I mean, put Brian Little on the point. But that that I don't even know it would work. But do something. He's not a pure playmaker either, though. And, that, and we've talked about that as well on the show many times, both on Wednesday's show and Saturday's show. This team doesn't have a lot of playmakers. I mean, your your playmaker on this team is probably Blake Wheeler, and I think he takes too long to make decisions with the puck to man the point. Never mind, it's it's just not a natural fit for him. So to me, obviously with Enstrom, that, that makes it a lot easier. But to me, you just put your defenseman back there at this point. You play Hainsey, and you and, and you play Postma, and you play Bufflin. You play the guy Klitsam. You know, I, I'd actually like Hainsey on there a little more, to be honest. I just And I know he doesn't have a great shot. It's fine. He's played the point before in the power play. He actually came up as an offensive defenseman with the Montreal Canadiens. Now, that was many years ago. But at least he plays defense. He won't be panicking up there. And he can pass. And I, I, would, and, and I think not only are you addressing a weakness, but you're creating possibly a strength by putting Jokinen somewhere else. And you can also, as he, as you mentioned, you know, Jokinen, you can play the front of the net. He's a big body. He's a hard guy to, uh, to, to push around. And, and changing these things up, I think, works. I know they tried Kane on the power play yesterday on the point. But it's the same problem. Kane, first of all, is not, not a slap shot guy. He's a wrist shot guy. Um, getting the getting the puck where he was getting it wasn't necessarily great for one-timers. And I think everybody out there knows that Evander Kane is not a passer. Probably never will be, in my opinion. So him up at the point doesn't really work either. Unless you, has a, unless you have like a Ilya Kovalchuk, who I think is underrated passing skills. But Ilya Kovalchuk released on a slap shot one-timer. And not, nobody on this team has that release. Few in the National Hockey League do. So I think it's about time that that changed. I know, Dave, you mentioned that on Wednesday, that I think it's got to change. And But we saw it again Thursday, Friday. We'll see, if, we'll see what happens on Sunday against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Talk about power play. We're going to see a team that has a good power play. We'll see if Claude Noel and Perry Pern do that on Sunday because how many times can you put the square peg in a round hole, right? Mm-hmm. That's, 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 what, that's what they're doing here. And... You know, Paul Postma is a guy that I think, even though he spent some time in the press box, he's a guy that could actually help the power play. But, you know, they lost 10-1 over two games. And mm-hmm. they scored no power play, one power play goal, sorry. Wasn't Bufflin's goal yesterday a power play goal? No? No, it was the so they, so they, scored, they scored zero. Mm-hmm. I think they had nine chances. So no goals and nine chances mm-hmm. at home. Mm-hmm. Let's see if they do anything, and, and they probably will. I mean, Noel jokes with the media, and Dave has been in you know in the Matt Frost media room more than anybody. He he jokes about that about the power play because you know the media have been giving him a hard time. But you know, Claude, we've been giving you a hard time because it's the worst in the league. So there's there's a reason for it. You're listening to the Legal Curve Hockey Show on TSN 1290. I'm Richard Pollock, filling in the host chair for Drew Mandel. You've just heard Ezra Ginsberg of Illegal Curve Hockey, and of course, David Manuk of IllegalCurve.com, sitting in my usual chair. 
David, the power play, obviously we've been dissecting that and maybe the, the lack of production from Ole Okunen, but the nine points um, this this season so far in 32 games is, is so far below anybody's wildest dreams, nightmares, really. That, I mean, where do you begin to break that down? Well, where you begin is it it has, to a certain degree, guys, crippled the Jets' chances. You know, it would be one thing if... Ole Okunen was brought in to be kind of a complimentary guy on the third line and, you know, provide some face-off ability and everything like that. But for all intents and purposes, he was given a two-year, $9 million contract to either, whatever you want to call it, number one center or top six center. Number one or number two, whatever you want to call it. He wasn't brought in to be a bottom six center. Mm-hmm. So he, he, it, it goes without saying that he's been awful. Um, but if you look at what his contributions have been, they've been nil in every aspect of hockey so to me it has crippled the Jets chances of taking the next step and you know the Jets went 6-1-1 one, and one in the eight games before these two games and that's great but I don't know if Ole Jokinen really had that much to do with that it's about maximizing his potential and and using him as an asset that he can be and I think you know Richard touched on this earlier but are you using him in the proper way? Are you using him on the proper line? Should he be playing with those players? Have you found a complimentary player for Oliokinen to get him the production that he can do? Currently, he's sitting minus 15, worst on the team and plus yep. minus. I mean, he's not producing. He's not doing... And, and to credit Oliokinen, he stands in there and does mm-hmm. press mm-hmm. after the games. Yep. Win or lose, he'll stand in there and he'll and he, he's measured with his responses. He's thoughtful and he'll speak and he'll, he'll speak for you know five ten minutes, however long he's required. But he doesn't duck out of that. Yep. But the reality is, and this is hard on Coach Noel, you have to be able to find him a player to play with. Right. And, and, I, and, I, and Richie, I want to I want to say one thing. You know, when we we did our free agency coverage in the summer, mm-hmm. we and, and we got to be critical here. I mean, it's not my job to find. You know. Sometimes I got to you know find the glass half full type of uh, perspective, but I thought the Jokinen signing was good. I think a lot of people did. So I don't want to turn this into an Ole Jokinen roast, but for whatever reasons, he hasn't found any type of flow in his game this year. And he's a guy that scored ninety points in the NHL before. I think he's got a lot of talent, mm-hmm. but y- you got to call a spade a spade. And there have been you know I was I was talking to you about this uh, you know in the press box. I can only really point out one or two games where he's had a good game. And, you know, I don't think he's happy with it, but it is what it is. I think it's about changing not only where he is on the power play and who he even plays with. It's, it's really who he's playing with at even strength. I think the Jokin and Kane experiment has to never appear again. I think that's something that, that keeps me up at night, and I'm sure, I'm sure as heck it keeps up the coaching staff for a lot longer than it keeps me up at night. Well, caffeine keeps me up at night. Well, that's a, I'm, I drink that, coffee right before I go to bed. <laughs> that and other things. We haven't yet actually spoken about this player who has been the center of attention for the past couple weeks, and that's Alex Bermistrov. He's made his way back into the lineup for the past couple games. What to do with Bermistrov? Think about that during the commercial break. When we come back, we're going to dissect that a little bit further. You're listening to the Legal Curve Hockey Show live on TSN. 1290. Quarter after the hour, Richard Pollock filling in the host chair for Drummondell, joined in studio by David Manuk of IllegalCurve.com, Ezra Ginsberg of Illegal Curve, Timmy Debenham, and of course, Michael Remus. This segment is brought to you by Rumors Restaurant and Comedy Club. For over 25 years, Rumors has been Winnipeg's home. 
For the best in stand-up comedy, for a list of performers and showtimes, visit RumorsComedyClub.com. I think Tom Green is a week from now, two weeks from now, one of the best. We saw the clip of uh, the preview for Tom Green when we went to see Rob Schneider as a group uh, a couple weeks ago. That uh, About two or three minutes sold all of us on wanting to buy tickets to see Tom Green. Remember he was r- married to Drew Barrymore for like a week or like a month or something? Remember that? I do. Yeah. I thought that was you. No. No, he was but married to John Green. You were I married can, to Drew Mandel for a... I was going to say, I could never be married to someone named Drew. <laughs> Come on. Before, even, though, even though she's kind of cute. Shout out to Drew Barrymore. <laughs> It's got pretty awkward, eh? Uh, That didn't get awkward at all. We talked before the break, guys, about Alexander Burmistrov, excuse me. Comes back, played a little bit different kind of groups. I thought he was trying to do a little too much upon his return. He's back now. Doesn't seem to have been too much of a significant change in his game. How much do you change a player and how much do you change a player in a short period of time? Is it time for the Jets? Not your opinion first, from the outside looking in, do you think the Jets are con- considering the possibility of moving on from Alexander Burmistrov in one way or another? Well, you know, it's interesting. I, you know, because he sat in the press box, and I had no problems with what Coach Noel did. I mean, you do that for a reason. You're mm-hmm. sending a message to a player. You're not doing what I want. You're not following the system I'm implementing. So as a result, you're going to sit out. And it worked for to get Kyle Wellwood motivated. Mm-hmm. It worked to get Chris Thorburn motivated. And it, it, it appears... Well, we don't know yet, too, because and here's what here's why we don't know. It appears to it could have worked with Alexander Burmistrov. The reason we don't know is because what kind of minutes is he getting? What kind of play is he getting? Is Alexander Burmistrov a guy who should be on the fourth line? He's a creative player. He's not going to be a, you know a, a forty goal scorer for this team by any stretch of the imagination. But he's creative. I mean, you could see a guy like that getting Evander Kane the puck. Right? He's very talented. He's you know now does he sometimes do a little too much? Absolutely, but. Does he need more minutes to kind of show what he's capable of doing? Dave, last night, Burmy played 15 minutes. And in his first game back, I think he played around 10 or 12 minutes. I, I might be wrong about that. If maybe, you know, we can check on that. But he played 15 minutes last night. And I thought actually last night was probably his best game um, since he, since his benching. Um, I, I like Alexander Burmistrov. If you listen to our Legal Curve quarter, quarter mark show, quarter pull show, I thought that, you know, I gave him an A because I thought earlier in the season, even though Burmy hasn't had the point totals, Richie, I thought Burmy was finishing his checks. Mm-hmm. He was coming back on the penalty kill. Burmy's got great wheels. He's got great wheels, good speed. He might be, I, I want to say, second or third on the Jets as far as his breakaway speed, his, his stop and start speed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Dave mentioned that he tries to do too much. Um, and when he was benched, a lot of people looked at, those road games and how he was laughing on the bench with Antropov, and that's why he was benched. And I said at the time, it's more than that. Um, Burmy, I think, lacks focus, and I think that he sometimes forgets that he shouldn't be in certain places, and he sometimes roams. We were talking about this a little bit even in the Boston game, Richie. Alexander Burmistrov has the tendency to, to get out of position, and for a guy that's 21 years old, 20 years old, in his third year in the NHL, last year of his entry-level deal. 21. He doesn't have a Vander Kane goal-scoring ability. Position for a guy like that is everything. I mean, that's what Noel is looking for. Burmy, where are you? Yep. And the thing is, 
he he does that a lot of roaming where he'll he'll come too deep mm-hmm. and he misses coverage mm-hmm. and a, a guy like that who is not a guy I mean Claude Noel knows who, who, who's going to score for him for sure. he'd, he'd hope that it would be Jokinen but it's Ladd Wheeler and Kane and little to to a lesser degree but Burmy you know if he scores once every three games that's fine and I think he projects as a defensive forward and I know you want to get into you know whether they should move him or not and I think they are considering moving him because of the fact that he's one of those guys they're not really sure if he fits into the long-term plans. Well, I think they know, I know Wheeler does. Little, I, I think the book is out too. A couple of things. He's played, played 15 minutes last night. As yep. you, to your point, the past two games since his return to the lineup, he played 12-17 the second game in 10 minutes not exactly. Again, not, I'm not bad game. today, Richie. I, you know, not bad. I, not bad, not bad. Once in a while. The question of, you know, should the team consider moving him, I guess that's the, you, you have to go to part B of that question, and that's by playing him more now, are you... Increasing his value is his value remaining the same, or are you decreasing his value on the market? And remember, he's also a restricted free agent this year, which to our listeners means they have to sign him to a new contract, um, and they're going to have to qualify. I mean, he's not going to have to. He's not going to make any less than he did this is doing this is making this year. Excuse me, on an entry level deal. Um, I'm not sure what his bonuses is, but he's probably not going to make any more less than 1.5 next year, approximately. I don't have cap geek right open in front of me. So they have to give him a new contract, and the question is, well, you know, are they going to give him a contract, and if so, how, what's the duration? Do they think he's worth it for long term? Is he short term? Does that increase his value? There's, me- I mean, the, being a general manager in the National Hockey League is not a simple job. There are a lot of considerations to take into account. But for Alexander Burmistrov, back to what I, the, the first question I, I kind of I, I posed, do you guys think that by playing him? You're increasing, decreasing, or his value is remaining the same? Well, I think there's no question you had to do something. You had to increase his time because otherwise, what's the what's the overall impression people have of him as a trade bait? I'm not saying the Jets are thinking about moving him or not, but if you're wanting to move him, the last impression you want to give the next, the next team that you're trying to trade him with is that he sat for four games and then he's come and played three minutes. That's no good. That's not going to be good for anyone. How, how, now, how do you go to another GM and say, this guy could be an asset, but he's just not for right for our team. Mm-hmm. However, you trusted him to play. You know, he sat him for four games, and then he played him three minutes. So if you're going to want to increase his trade value, you have to give him time. You have to. It's, it's, and, and we've seen it. His time's gone up, right? He's played 10 minutes, 15 minutes. So that's, you know, that's significant. Now, similarly, I also think it's the coach trying to get him motivated and say, look, I'm going to reward you. I'm increasing your ice time. So it, it, we don't know what it is. We don't know the angle. Because, of course, as Coach Noel will always, often say, a coach's position and a GM's position are two different things. The coach is, you know, coaching to win that game, right. whereas the GM is thinking long-term. And, Dave, you know, it's, it's quite obvious that if there's one player that, and it, this isn't just, you know, because of the benching or the fact that he was scratched, but if there's one player that is in, the, in Claude Noel's doghouse, dog it's Burmy. And if there's one guy that, is probably better advised to dump the puck in as opposed to you know trying to make a move and and not really doing anything with it. It's him, and you know, you know, you put him out for the penalty kill. Jimmy Slater's out of the lineup. And I think he's done a good job. But the Jets have, you know, you talk about the UFAs that they have. You know, Wellwood, Antropov, Hainsey. To me, it's all about the RFAs and the guys that are playing for a contract. I think James Wright has proved that he's going to be back next year. At least I think he should be. Eric Tangrati, I think. You know, if okay, if you're going to use him as a fourth liner, maybe. Um, Brian Little is also playing for his next contract. 
but Alexander Burmistrov is is there's probably the most question marks about him because you look at him and he's got the skill, but I think that his decision making is the one thing for me I kind of am left puzzled. Um, with him, and I think that's why it's frustrating for the coaching staff to deal with him because sometimes he doesn't make the simple play, chip the puck in, you know, play your man, play the point. He kind of roams around in, the, in his own zone, and that, I think that's what's frustrating about him. What does the market bear for a player of his of his age and skill level? That's you know, I mean, that's that's what they have to determine. And again, we we don't see all the things that go on behind the scenes, right? So obviously, you know, I'm sure Kevin Cheveldayoff is is working the phones and trying to determine, am I going to get something for him? Is there you now? Does the team have a need of him, or can his role be filled by somebody else? Based on just the way the team is structured, he's a center. Yep. On a team that lacks plays depth a lot of wing though. at center, right? But he's a center exactly. That's true. He's a center that that plays on a team that lacks depth at center. Yep. He's a guy with skill on a team that lacks skill. So if you look at it on paper, it makes sense to be a fit, but the game is not played on paper, and it may very well not. And I think, Richie, you look at other GMs in the NHL and how they view Burmistrov, and it's I guess it's easier for us because we've watched him play so mm-hmm. much over the last two years, year and a half, whatever you want to call it. But I almost think it's a situation like, you know, you look at a guy like Andre Loktyanov, wanted out of L.A. because he wasn't playing. A guy that scored at a younger age, and he's younger. He gets, a what, a fourth-round pick? I'm not saying you're going to get... I think Burmese more than a fourth-round pick. But really, if it's a situation where the Jets want to get rid of him, it might be for a second- or third-round pick at this point. It's a question they can they have to ask themselves. Something An issue that they can really shelve if they want to until the off-season. An issue that they can't really shelve until, uh, until the off-season is that of Ron Hainsey. We're going to discuss his situation in depth after the break. You're listening to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show live on TSN 1290.